You're listening to Tulsa Talks, a Tulsa People podcast, episode 2.6. I'm Anna Bennett. This episode of Tulsa Talks is brought to you by the Tulsa Regional Chamber. Today, Mayor G.T. Bynum on how data analysis can reinvent civic decision-making and how social media can reconnect elected officials to the people. Happy first day of spring, Tulsa. Editor Ann Brockman shares what's on the menu this season across town. So let's talk Tulsa. Action. Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Deva, Maheshwara. There's the kick. So yummy. Guru Satchat, Param Brahma, Tasmai Shri, Guru Dev Namaha. So poetic. You know, that's when things started to shift a little bit. People in Tulsa aren't sitting back and saying, hey, aren't we great for doing these things? They're saying, yeah, this is great. What are we going to do next? What's next? What more can we do? That's the mayor of Tulsa, G.T. Bynum. Though he's only been in office for two years, the city has already seen major changes and exciting prospects under his bespectacled watch. And even though he probably still gets carded at the liquor store, Bynum comes from an impressive political lineage. Robert J. LaFortune, the mayor of Tulsa from 1970 to 78, is Bynum's grandfather. Bynum's uncle, Bill LaFortune, served as mayor from 2002 to 2006. And Bynum is descended from R.N. Bynum, who served as mayor from 1899 to 1900. G.T. still has R.N. shotgun from his days as mayor. Different times at Tulsa City Hall. In this interview, Bynum talks candidly about his relationship with his grandfather and how city governance and Tulsa itself has transformed, and how something as seemingly unsexy as piles and piles of data might be the key to reinventing not just Tulsa, but how all cities run. I would venture to say that you as an individual and as the mayor are more readily accessible to the general public than public figures ever have been in Mm, the past. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you think it's important to be available? Oh, yeah. That really came out of really from a couple of places. One, in my time on the city council, uh, I found that social media could be a great tool for getting good ideas. Uh, I know my skill set. I'm not a good ideas guy. Uh, I am proficient at implementing good ideas that other people have. Um, And so probably... 95% of the things that I did on the city council were ideas that people brought forward to me often on social media um, where it sounded like it was a good idea and then I could take the ball and run with it from there. The other thing that I I found, and especially looking back at previous mayors and really people in kind of higher elected office at any level, um, is there's a danger of getting inside a bubble where you only hear from your staff, your friends, and your family, all of whom tell you what an awesome job you're doing. <laughs> and, Which is great. Yeah, but... that's a great life, except it's not reality. Yeah. And social media is a very valuable equalizer uh, <laughs> in that regard. Uh, it helps me avoid being in that bubble. Uh, people feel very free to tell me what they really think of what we're doing and tell me if it's good or if it's bad. And I like that. Um, I mean, some people think it's funny that I 
like getting negative feedback, but I always want to be thinking through both sides of an argument, not just be told that whatever I've proposed or what I'm supporting is the right thing, but also if somebody has a counterargument, I want to understand that as well as I can to make sure that what I'm doing is the right step hmm. forward for the city. Um, and so social media really helps me avoid being in that bubble uh, and gives me a great, great direct connection with people. And then the last thing uh, I think is maybe a little unusual uh, is that I do it all myself. Like that was going to be my next question. A lot yeah. of elected officials have people on their staff that do their social media for them. Uh, we, I'd always done it myself when I started running for mayor. My campaign team insisted on, well, we'll do your social media because you need to be focused on so many other things. We did that for like a week and – uh, it wasn't authentic people. It wasn't resonating with people because it wasn't really my voice. It was somebody pretending to be me and we didn't get any traction. So finally I stole it back away from our campaign staff, started doing it myself and that it took off. Uh, and I think it was one of the reasons that we ended up winning was because of that direct dialogue that we established through social media. So I've wanted to keep that as mayor uh, and try to stay pretty disciplined on it. I'm better on, Facebook than other platforms. Twitter, I find useful to get a message out, especially to media and the press. Mm. Uh, uh, but I don't find it to be all too often a very helpful tool for dialogue just because it's right. so easy for somebody to set up a fake account and troll you on there. Uh, whereas Facebook, you have at least some ability to, to see who people are or at least guess. Mm. And it's more conducive to long form dialogue and comments yeah yeah it's very much designed for those conversations to happen yes yes and all this the millennials on my staff keep telling me i need to do more on instagram but i'm i feel like i'm 95 years old trying to use (laughs) instagram (laughs) and i couldn't use snapchat if my life depended on it well as much as i would i would love to see the mayor of tulsa do a (laughs) selfie with the 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 dog ears and the tongue i couldn't do it yeah yeah you you gotta you absolutely have to focus right right (laughs) so how do you set up boundaries though because i know for myself working as a social media professional it's like you're the danger is that you can be connected 24-7 yes. and <laughs> never get a moment's rest. Right. And so a uh, couple things. One, I, I try to limit myself. I find that if I'm doing more than – especially on Facebook, if I do more than one post a day, it gets deleted and people get sick of hearing me reporting things over and over and over again. And uh, I really try to find you know what's the most important thing for me to say today, mm-hmm. and so that is what I will post on Facebook today. Um, and if something really important comes up, you know I keep a tracker on my phone of what I want to do over the course of the week as far as talking about. But that causes me to focus on the most important things rather than every single news article or anything that I'm thinking over the course of the day throwing it out there. I I don't think that that's useful um it sounds like it's a very intuitive process oh absolutely and uh, just probably why it hasn't worked out trying to delegate that right right and it really is i mean i view it i tell folks i view it as like it's my front porch like you think about it in old times like it's my front porch Mm -hmm. and so anybody can come up and talk with me on it uh and if they're rude i'll 
escort them off my property. <laughs> uh, but it is a it's a way for me to communicate with folks very openly in a, in a way that my granddad never had when he was the mayor, and in a way that I find. Uh, you know, most mayors around the country, we're unique here in Oklahoma because you have uh, two of the youngest mayors in the nation of top 50 cities happen to be the mayors of Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Uh, it's kind of a fluke. Um, but most mayors around the country are old enough to be David Holt and I's parents. And so they're not as active on social media or doing it themselves. Uh, whereas David and I, we both do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think that's just a generational deal. I think as you move forward, you'll see more and more elected officials doing what I do right. on there. Right. So uh, with your with your new mayorship, and I know that one of the big platforms that you pushed even during the election was this very much data-minded, information-driven approach to policymaking. Uh, so how is, how is that emphasis on the raw data and drawing conclusions from that influenced what it means to make a city run? It's been awesome, um, and it really – overall, nationwide, uh, what we've seen in cities around the country is that cities have been collecting massive amounts of data for decades, but they weren't using it for proactive decision-making. They were making it for auditing and accounting purposes, and so there's been this real revolution in the last decade and a, a increased awareness that – we're already collecting this data. We already have it, but we can actually use it to help us make more informed decisions rather than kind of going by gut feel uh, or intuition. Which might work for your <clears throat> social media strategy, but maybe Correct. not for your policymaking. Exactly. And so uh, one of the things that we uh, have done on that front as we instituted an office, created it when I came in, called the Office of Performance Strategy and Innovation. And uh, their job is to utilize the data that we have at the city to help us make more informed decisions. One of the things they've done is created this program called the Urban Data Pioneers, uh, where it's a volunteer program. Anybody in the community that has skills in data analysis can come help us look through problems at the city and identify ways that we can solve them. Um, that We've received international awards for that program. Tulsa, I, I don't know that people here in Tulsa realize that the city of Tulsa has become an international leader in this field in only two years. Uh, hmm. Because it's a new field, there was ripe opportunity for us to become an early leader in it, and we have. Um, you know, one a good example of what that group's done that's had a direct impact on policy here at the city, the city council and I in 2017 identified that we wanted support for education to be a core focus of the city, um, which it had not been historically. And we also recognize that, you know, there are things we need to pick what we're focused on. And so often, and we were guilty of this, we talked about high school graduation rates. We need to really do better on that. But then we also talked about how we want to increase Tulsa's per capita income. And so we asked the Urban Data Pioneers, can you look at and tell us what has the greatest correlation to increase per capita income in Tulsa? Like, what are what are the the things in census tracts that hmm. relate themselves to higher per capita income? And I'm guessing that high school graduation was not one of those things. Partially. In just a minute, we'll find out what the data pioneers discovered to be the strongest link to increased income. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Tulsa Talks listeners, we love Tulsa and we know you do too. So does the Tulsa Regional Chamber. 
You might not realize it, but the chamber is more than 100 years old, which more than makes it a Tulsa institution. They represent 2,000 member organizations and more than 175,000 area workers. As a business-driven leadership organization, their goal is to improve the quality of community life through the development of regional economic prosperity. What does that mean? It means their staff of 75 works hard every single day to attract, retain, and expand great businesses. They work to increase educational access and workforce skill levels. They advocate on behalf of their members at both the state and federal levels. They champion efforts to make our community more livable and inviting and they promote our region as a vibrant tourist destination. To learn more about all that the Chamber does and to become a member, visit TulsaChamber.com. Welcome back to Tulsa Talks. I'm Anna Bennett. When we left off, Mayor Bynum was explaining how data analysis found the one thing that has the greatest correlation to increased per capita income in Tulsa. The urban data pioneers came back with a clear answer. What they found was uh, the the census tracts that had higher per capita income, it, it wasn't about race uh, or background. It was those census tracts have more people with advanced degrees have higher per capita income. Now, when you hear that, you think, well, of course that makes sense. But it's one of those things that it probably varies city by city, but we were able to prove it out here in Tulsa. Well, that then totally shifted our perspective on what we needed to be focused on. Yeah, we needed to be focused on high school graduation rates, but that can't be the end of the Mm -hmm. discussion. We have to then be focused on going to college and then going to graduate school and attaining graduate degrees that we have to set the bar higher than we had been uh, even when we were trying to do a better job here in Tulsa. So that's one example of what they've done. Um, uh, Overall, though, the thing that's been most valuable to me about utilization of data uh, at the local level is that it's allowed us to pull out of these kind of broad philosophical debates that you see contaminating the national discussion and very often even statewide uh, public discussions, we're able to use data and bring Republicans and Democrats together to look at how we everybody wants to have good streets and have a safe city and have future kids in Tulsa making more money and living better lives. Um, And it doesn't matter what their partisan affiliation is. What the utilization of data allows us to do is to bring those people from very divergent opinions who are going to vote all over the place for president next year. But we can get them all together at one table and change it from being a philosophical debate to being practical problem solving. Right. Like we Um, all want this result. What does what does the data say we should do about it? Precisely. And so um, I've become a real... Uh, evangelists, if you will, all around the country speaking at conferences uh, about that being really, I think, the potentially the greatest value to local communities of utilization of data. I originally came to it from an interest in efficiency and effectiveness, and it does help there. But it also is a platform and a tool for bringing people in an increasingly divided country back together to help make better communities. Hmm. So how has the response been as far as people volunteering to be part of this urban data p- 
Pioneers program. It's been remarkable. Because it's volunteer, right? It is. It is volunteer. And, you know, I expected us to have like a dozen people show up at the first Mm -hmm. meeting. It's kind of a niche thing. Yeah. Um, We had 60 people show up. Uh, at the first meeting, we had ended up in our first year having over a hundred people participate. Uh, we exceeded that in our second year, so it is it continues to grow, and that's one of the other cool things about it is we found that you know a lot of the time in in Tulsa is not unique in this. I think every city runs into this. When you have a problem that needs to be solved, everyone thinks about elected officials and philanthropists. Like, let's go talk to them about getting them to fix this. When the reality is we every city has people that are working in banks and hospitals and here in energy companies and aerospace companies who are trained in data analysis that people historically never thought to go to to help them solve these problems and yet they have this incredibly unique skill set that can give you the insights you need to make giant progress on that front so um, we that's another reason that we've tried to raise awareness around the opportunities that are presented by utilizing data hmm. wow i had never even considered that most cities hadn't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until we started doing it here in tulsa yeah now Famously, your your grandfather, Robert LaFortune, yeah. was also mayor of Tulsa. And I yes. understand that you've maintained a very close relationship with him over the oh, years. Oh, he's been my hero my whole life. Um, and it, since I was a little kid, have had he and my grandmother were like a second set of parents for me. And so I've been very close with them my whole life. I uh, just had lunch with him yesterday, actually. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, how how has that given you perspective on just how much the city and also the position of mayor itself has shifted in the past decades? Well, I'd say, one, it inspired me to want to be mayor because when I was growing up as a kid, he retired from being mayor when I was six months old. Mm. And so uh, for basically my formative years growing up, every time we would go to a restaurant for dinner or to the PAC to see a show or to the movie theater, people would come up to talk with my granddad and then eventually turn to his little grandson and tell me why he was such a great mayor. And so two things registered with me early on. One, a lot of people valued the job of mayor, even though I had no idea what a mayor did. And then two, the things that they valued in him, no one came up to me and said, well, your grandfather, he fixed the dickens out of this street. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was... He listened to all sides before making up his mind. He put the city ahead of himself. Uh, He wasn't worried about climbing the political ladder. He was just worried about doing a good job as mayor. And even when we didn't agree with his final decision, we knew that his heart was in the right place. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard those things in the 40 years of my life from people over and over and over again. And so that – and I'm thankful for it because that drilled in my head what people really value in a leader Mm. Um, and and has – guided so much of what I've done, both as a counselor and now as mayor, would also say it, it, it had a huge impact on me because the, the thing that I am most proud of my granddad in the 14 years that he served at the city was the vote that he cast on his very first night on the, as street commissioner, which uh, he was the only Republican on the city commission to vote in favor of desegregating public facilities. And that was one where 
you know, it would have been easy to play it safe and just go along with the other Republican on the commission who had more seniority than he did. But he followed his conscience and he did the right thing. And I always think about that anytime there's a difficult thing that I'm dealing with and there's people who are really fired up and angry on both sides of it, that really when it comes down to it, the only thing I care about is if my kids are reading about this in the paper or online 30 years from now, are they going to be proud of what I did or ashamed of what I did? And the rest of it really doesn't matter. Um, That allowed me to cast a lot of votes on the council that – you know, I had people saying, if you vote this way, I'll never vote for you again. But I just voted my conscience because what my kids think of me and the service that I had is more important to me than uh, what some angry person in an email has to say. And so that was very liberating to have that example. I would say as far as how things have changed, so much has changed. One, that just the nature of the job has changed Uh, We shifted to a a strong mayor form of government in 1989. And so when my granddad was mayor, you had city commissioners that guided the the city's operations. And the mayor really was sort of the coordinator of all of that, uh, but had to work closely with the commissioners to get things done. Today, every city employee eventually reports to the mayor, and the mayor runs the city day to day. The mayor is the CEO of the city. Um, so it's different in that regard. Also, the city government is much larger than it was then. The mayor's staff is much larger than it was then. He had uh, two people on <laughs> his staff when he was mayor. Um, How many do you have on your staff? Uh, well, I have uh, 12 appointed positions in the mayor's office. And then obviously we have 3,600 employees that ultimately report to me. Um, wow. and, and I would say the, the other thing – as far as things that have changed, one big one is just the access to information about best practices. I feel really lucky uh, to be mayor at a time when there's so much philanthropic and nonprofit interest in cities. When my granddad was the mayor, he would go to the U.S. Conference of Mayors meeting once a year and they would exchange ideas and that was it. Uh, Today, there's groups like City Lab, Bloomberg Philanthropies, Results for America, What Works Cities. I mean, so many different groups that we are partners with that help us share best practices and identify ways that we can do a better job here in Tulsa. I'm going through right now Harvard's kind of college for mayors program uh, with 23 other mayors from around the country. That's something that just wasn't accessible to mayors back when my granddad was a mayor. Now, I also have one huge advantage that he did not have, which is his example that I can go by. Um, and I sent him a note this earlier in the year. Like, I, I cannot imagine, one, having been elected, but two, doing this job with any degree of effectiveness if I didn't have a lifetime of learning from him. Uh, it is such a, a blessing for me. Wow. So are um, in either of your – you have two kids, I right? do. Right. Are either of them uh, entertaining uh, mayoral dreams of their own? <laughs> well, my son, uh, Robert, is named after my granddad. Um, and, you know, it's fun to – I do try to involve them a lot in the things that we do. Um, and, and I find that, you know, in families you often see that people go into the work that their parents or their grandparents did and I I come to the conclusion a lot of that is because 
it it is that profession or that work seems accessible to them because they grew up seeing their parent or their grandparent do it. And so it's really important to me that this that my kids grow up knowing that public service is something accessible to them uh, that they can be involved in if they want to be, uh, that it's not something left to other people to do. And so they come with me uh, to events, and it's fun uh, to involve them in uh, things relative to the history of the city. Like I took them to the groundbreaking for the gathering place, and uh, I always remember they were both whining in the backseat of my station wagon about, oh, we have to go to some park. I was like, (laughs) okay, hold on. This is going to be the greatest park in any city in America, and people are building it for kids like you two. And that blew their minds. And what I love about that is now, for the rest of their lives, the standard that's been set in their head and for kids of their age is, of course we have the best park in the world in Tulsa. You think about what they're going to be able to accomplish for our community, that whole generation now moving forward with that different uh, set of expectations in their mind. Yeah, they won't settle for anything else. Exactly. Uh, And to me, that's one of the great benefits of the gathering place. Uh, And so, you know, my son wants to be a professional football player and my daughter wants to be a surgeon as of today. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll see what happens. Yeah, good luck to, to both of them. Right. When we come back, Mayor Bynum divulges what's on his current reading list and why he focuses so much on the big picture. But first, Ann Brockman is here with some foodie news. Did you know that the food you eat becomes energy? Yeah. Boom, that's spaghetti. Nachos. The cookie. It's Ann Brockman, editor of Tulsa People magazine, ready to let you know what's fresh on the Tulsa food scene. I think we're all ready to shake off the doldrums of winter and be re-energized with spring. There are plenty of ways to do that with a food-related twist. Of course, we're all excited for the return of the Tulsa Farmer's Market on Cherry Street on Saturday, April 6th. In the April issue of Tulsa People, be sure to read all about the market's 21-year impact on our community and how it has spurred interest in farmer's markets across the area. Plus, we have three recipes using the spring's bounty. Speaking of spring, Easter's April 21st. Here's your reminder to get your solid milk chocolate bunny from Glacier Confection in the Tulsa Arts District or in Utica Square. Bunnies come in small and large sizes and milk and dark chocolate varieties. It seems the Tulsa food scene never quiets down. There's always something popping up here and there. Pub W recently opened at 61st and Yale in the new shops at Warren Place. Some girlfriends and I ate there on a recent Saturday night. It's a modern pub scene with plenty of local drafts, great wine, and craft cocktails. If you're a sports fan, have no fear. There are plenty of TVs to catch the big game. The menu is deep and boasts lots of flavor. If you can stand the heat, try the spicy shrimp tacos. Pub W's neighbor, Neighborhood Jam, will be opening soon, too. It's a breakfast and brunch place from the Hal Smith Restaurant Group. Why would anybody ever eat anything besides breakfast food? People are idiots, Leslie. Along the Mother Road, Bobby O's Pizza is now open at 11th and Rockford. I stopped in for their lunch special. A large slice of pie, a salad, and a drink for 11 bucks. I left full and happy. 
They also have a separate gluten-free kitchen where non-gluten dough, desserts, and pizza are made fresh. I know my plate is full for this spring season. See you around, Tulsa. So yummy. Tulsa Talks listeners, if you own a business, this is for you. The Tulsa Regional Chamber wants to be your partner in prosperity. With a membership in the Tulsa Regional Chamber, you will be connected to a growing network of 2,000 business owners throughout Northeast Oklahoma. Your company will join the largest business-to-business community in the Tulsa area. At more than 100 chamber events a year, your company can build relationships with potential clients, promote your brand, and give back to the community we all love. Through the chamber, you can connect to Visit Tulsa, the Tulsa Convention and Visitors Bureau, as well as the Tulsa Sports Commission and their programs and events. Whether you are interested in legislative advocacy efforts, becoming a member of Tulsa's Young Professionals, or supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts through Mosaic, membership in the Tulsa Regional Chamber can help you impact our community and build your business in meaningful ways. For more information on how the Chamber can partner with you, visit TulsaChamber.com. Welcome back to Tulsa Talks. I'm Anna Bennett. Let's get back to my conversation with G.T. Bynum. So I've got to know, do you ever um, find yourself like driving down like a really like messed up street with a bunch of construction and going, gosh, someone should do something about this? <laughs> oh, I, I am a frequent flyer on the 311 app, which I ah. occur- encourage everyone to download and utilize uh, anytime I see a street light not working or uh, pothole or anything like that. Yeah, I drive the people in our three one one crazy reporting that stuff. Well, but they can't. They can't get mad at you though, because no, you're the mayor no, for crying out loud. And that seemed to be sort of a uh, kind of a cyclical reference, almost to like the reliance on the volunteer yes. data. Um, oh, analysts. No and question. now the mayor of Tulsa is also reporting streetlight outages. And, and that's why we have the app, so that mm-hmm. every Tulsan is empowered to, to report those things uh, as easily and quickly as possible so that we can get out and fix them. Yeah. So what do you think is the thing that's going to transform Tulsa the most over the next decades? The number one thing that we wanted to focus on uh, when we came in, both the city council and I, was that we wanted to shift the level of expectation in the city. I feel like so many of the things that made Tulsa a great city in the 20th century uh, sprang from people having high expectations. Uh, You know, we didn't want to be the oil capital of Tulsa County. We wanted to be the oil capital of the world and accomplish that. Didn't want to be the most beautiful city in green country. We wanted to be America's most beautiful city and accomplish that. Uh, When most people had never seen an airplane, we built an airport. Uh, We didn't like the taste of the water in the Arkansas River, so we built a marvel of civil engineering to supply us uh, fresh water that the President of the United States came here to open. you know, it makes no sense in 1920 in Tulsa to build skyscrapers, and yet we did, not because it made economic sense, but because great cities have skyscrapers. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that mindset, and my concern when I was on the city council was I felt like we were getting too uh, complacent 
uh, and accepting of being in second place in the state and spending all our time fighting with Tulsa County over the jail and fighting with the suburbs over who is going to get a Bass Pro Shop and a retail outlet mall and not focused on working as a region to compete with the great cities all around the world to be the best city that we can be. And so that was one of the main reasons that I wanted to run for mayor uh, was I didn't know if other people agreed with me on that, uh, but I wanted them to have that option of pursuing that level of ambition. And if they did agree with it, then we could pursue it. And if they didn't, then I didn't want to spend any more time on the city council spinning my wheels in the mud for a city that didn't believe in itself anymore. And that was the best part about winning the election on election night was we ran a 100% positive campaign and we talked about expecting more of ourselves from ourselves as Tulsans and people overwhelmingly supported that and gave us a mandate to do it. And what has surprised me though is I thought, well, that's something that's going to take five or six years for us to bring about. And it's here. I mean, it's happened uh, in just two years' time. Uh, We are now outpacing OKC and the state and the nation in job growth. Uh, We just landed the two largest new employers to ever come to Tulsa in our history in Amazon and GreenHeck. Um, We have over $300 million in projects online in downtown Tulsa. Uh, North Tulsa has become the employment growth hotspot in the whole city in two years' time, Um, and we've opened the greatest park gift in the history of the United States on the eastern shore of the Arkansas River, which, by the way, we're about to build a lake in the middle of uh, so that people can use around year-round instead of just getting excited for the one day a year that we have the raft race. (laughs) So, I mean, there is such a renewed sense of high expectations, and that was our motto when I was running, and it sounded kind of corny, but we wanted to renew a sense of high expectations, and I feel like we now have that. Uh, we are doing so many good things, and what I love about it is people in Tulsa aren't sitting back and saying, hey, aren't we great for doing these things? They're saying, yeah, this is great. What are we going to do next? What's next? What more can we do? Um, and so I think that's the probably the greatest change that's come about, and that is only going to continue to produce better and better things for Tulsa moving forward. What are you reading right now? Um, gosh, I'm reading several different books. Uh, I'm actually, I had somebody, this will probably get me in trouble with some folks, but it's actually a really good book. Uh, Bernie Sanders' memoir about getting elected to the House of Representatives. I had actually an arch conservative recommend it to me and told me, uh, you know, from him, his standpoint, it was know thine enemy. Uh, but it's a really good book. Uh, it gives you a really good insight into what it's like to be uh, to run for office and be in, in office uh, because Bernie Sanders had been mayor of Burlington, Vermont before he ran for the House. And so to hear him contrast what it's like to be a mayor versus in the House and local government versus national government is really interesting stuff. Oh, God, I'm reading the best book. Uh, um, and I can't believe I waited this long to read it, uh, but it's called Good to Great by Jim Collins. Basically, every person in business has already read this book, and I'm kind of late to the party. It came out in, I think, 2000, 2001. But the book is about uh, how they, they analyzed all these different companies and looked at companies that went from being good companies 
to just unbelievable performance. And what was it that they did that allowed them to make that change? What they found was in history, they only identified about 11 companies that had actually been able to do that. They said the danger is usually when companies are doing well that are are good, they settle for good and they don't push themselves in a way that you have to to become great. And so I'm reading that and gosh, they're – uh, there's insights on every page that I keep writing down and underlining and thinking about how we can do more and do better, how I can do better here at the city of Tulsa. So uh, it's an absolutely fascinating read. And uh, for the folks that are out there who haven't read it, I highly recommend it. You can follow the mayor on Twitter at GT Bynum, and you can search GT Bynum on Facebook. If you reach out with a comment or an idea, he'll probably respond, too. Thanks so much for listening to Tulsa Talks. If you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend about the show and leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Tulsa People or head to our home on the web, tulsapeople.com slash podcast. There you'll find show notes and more info about our guests and topics. Every episode, we play you out with some local music. This is Other Side by Roots of Thought off of the EP Familiar Feelings. Blood runs sick on a broken vine All she realized is the precious time Was spending here, my dear I'll meet you on the other side After we lose our minds I'll meet you on the other side And you'll be mine
about this band who recently represented Tulsa at South by Southwest at rootsofthought.com. You can find their music on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Bandcamp. This episode of Tulsa Talks is brought to you by the Tulsa Regional Chamber. Original music by The Earslips, recorded and mixed by Mike Gilliland at Augie Reed Studios. Tulsa Talks is a Langdon Publishing production recorded right here in beautiful downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma.